you don't want your busy evenings to signal the end of dinnertime exploration, try Blue Apron's two or four serving menu plan so you're always cooking something new and enjoying fresh seasonal ingredients. With 60 plus options each week, you can choose from an ever-changing mix of high-quality meat, fish, vegetarian, WW-recommended, and wellness offerings. Order now and get $110 off across your first five orders when you visit blueapron.com unique. The Road to Rediscovery is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me ask you something. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, for me growing up, feelings of anxiety, inadequacy, doubt, and even imposter syndrome got in the way uh, of me reaching my goals and reaching my full potential, right? So BetterHelp addresses these and more. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and, get this, financial aid is even available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. They mean it. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Road to Rediscovery. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And there's a special offer for our Road to Rediscovery listeners. Get 10% off your first month when you register at BetterHelp.com slash Road to Rediscovery. We're all on this journey of life together, and it sure feels good to know professional help is within our reach with better help. Again, that's better H E L P. Thanks to better help for sponsoring this podcast. Our lives are laid out on a road of bumps, turns, struggles, and more. How do we respond? How do we endure adversity for learning and growth? I'm Aubrey Johnson, and we'll explore these questions and more on The Roads Rediscovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Roads Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson. The Roads Rediscovery is about reflecting on life lessons to learn and grow from them, and of course, pay it forward and uplift others who are struggling through dark times. Now, as you know, on the Road to Rediscovery, we are very passionate about delivering quality content that is of value to you and your personal growth. If you like what you hear, please visit roadtorediscovery.com slash donate. That's road, the number two, rediscovery.com slash donate. We'll give you a shout out in a future episode. And as always, there is no obligation. We are truly, truly grateful for your listenership. Now, you know, it's been said that everyone has their version of rock bottom, right? A rock bottom in their lives. You know, and that that I'm sure is true. We'll find out more, you know, with our special guest. But one thing in my opinion, or one or two things in my opinion that I feel are undisputed is number one, the impact that a rock bottom can have on a person, as well as the potential for the layers of lessons to be discovered from it. My special guest has taken a deep introspective look into his own rock bottom 
terrified by an oppressive fear of death, along with other struggles that he's gone through, he's reached a crossroads and shares his rock bottom and his entire journey in his book, The Synchronicity of Love, revealing very personal stories with a tremendous demonstration of transparency. We're going to dive into all sorts of things, guys. I'm really excited about this conversation. We're going to talk about healing, dreams, visions, unconditional love, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome John Lada to the show. Hey, John, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much, Aubrey. Super happy to be here. Love oh, the intro. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you here. So, so John, if you can just give a little context uh, for the listener's benefit on um, just how was life for John Lada um, in his, let's say, collegiate years, um, you know, young adult years, leading up sure. to uh, your adult years and, and having a family and that sort of thing? Yeah, so um, grew up in Southern California. Uh, family was from the Seattle area, decided to move back here uh, when I was a teenager. So it was kind of a new start for me then. Mm-hmm. Um, went to college for a while, decided it wasn't for me, uh, started a career uh, with QFC, which was a large regional grocery chain, uh, worked mm-hmm. my way up to store manager, managed a bunch of different stores for QFC. Um, along the way, I was one of those really competitive, athletic, active kind of people, loved to work hard, loved to play hard, um, and uh, got married, had two kids, uh, was coaching their ball teams when they were little. Um, and then uh, when I was 39, 40 years old, made the big leap and decided to start my own company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chain that I worked for was purchased by another chain and that whole thing was purchased by Kroger and suddenly it was no fun to work for him anymore. Right. And uh, I was always you know, running little things on the side. So I took the big leap, saved a bunch of money, started my own company. And it's right around there that my book begins because I managed to lose all of our money and a whole bunch more and got down to uh, $650,000 in debt. Oh my. 250000 in personal credit card debt trying to launch my company. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I, I lived, I think, a relatively charmed life. I didn't really have to face a lot of adversity. Right. And then, man, there was like a two-year period where it just all came at once. And mm. uh, yeah. So that, that was yeah. that's what led up to where my book begins. Gotcha. So that was the inspiration for your book. Well, again, you know, I'll go a little further. So what mm-hmm. happened in a short period of time, I, I left the, my very secure job <laughs> and started my own company, was elated mm-hmm. until I realized how much money I was losing and uh, felt like for every dollar that was coming in, there was $5 going out. Yeah. And, um, and then about that same period of time, my wife got cancer, which was really kind of shocking because she was healthy, young, took good care of herself. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was very surprising. So uh, thyroid cancer, like one week after it was diagnosed, uh, the th- complete thyroid gland was removed. Very, you know, stage four cancer. Yeah. To this day, she still has to take a pill every day just to live, which is kind of weird. Wow. And um, and. And she began to change like crazy. She started reading books about God and the meaning of life. You know, when you confront death, you confront life without a thyroid gland, you confront the fact that, wow, if I don't have those pills, I die. Yeah. And, um, and so she started to change like crazy. 
And at that same time, I was elated to start my own company until I realized how much money I was losing. And then it was desperation mode. And I was running around in just terrified fear of, oh, my God, we're going to have to go bankrupt. I'm going to have to start all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see, you know, we lived in a, you know, middle to upper middle class neighborhood. And I, I could see having to move somewhere and uproot my kids and live someplace more affordable while I started over. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, and then while all that was happening, I don't know where it came from. I suddenly had this oppressive fear of death and I'd never been considered myself a spiritual person or religious person. I was a hardworking, rational person, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't go to church. I didn't hang out with spiritual people. I didn't know who to talk to. I don't think I even would have talked to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the middle of it all, my wife walks out on me and says, you take the kids, you're a better parent. See you later. Goodbye. And she wanted a whole new life. And so now I, um, I feel like I am a bad husband, a bad businessman, um, a bad dad. And I'm running around behind closed doors, terrible fear of death. And that was, that was my rock bottom. Just felt like for the next two or three years, every day, hanging on by the skin of my teeth, robbing Peter to pay Paul to stay ahead of all the bills. Right. I didn't see any way I was ever going to get out of it. And I, I, I didn't want to be divorced. It just kind of happened, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and suddenly I'm both mom and dad to my two kids, which was kind of scary too. So that was my rock bottom hanging wow. on my bed. And Aubrey, I was not good at asking other people for help. <laughs> oh my goodness. You, you know what? Uh, full transparency. I can relate. In fact, my wife tells me I need to um, learn more and be more comfortable about asking for help. So I, I can I can relate for sure, John. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. And so in this role now as mother and father and um, the, the turmoil that you were going through uh, at this time and the trauma with being so, so far in debt, robbing Peter to pay Paul, as you say, um, and, 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 and just this this closet fear of death um i mean that that all has an impact on on just your ability to raise your kids i'm I'm sure um you've been you preoccupied at so many so many hours of the day um you know when your attention should be directed towards um you know that present moment Did, did you struggle with that a little bit Oh man, uh, I fought the present moment like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if on the back cover of my book it says, you know, hard work, competition, logic, we're getting them nowhere. It's true, they weren't. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I had to do with my company was just pull back and wait. And man, I'm not very good at that. No. And so I had anxiety and fear. You know, I was one of these skinny athletic guys anyway, and I lost yeah. 15 pounds, so I looked like this walking skeleton. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping well. And so lesson number one, I had to learn to live with all the fear so I could get some sleep. Um, I didn't consider myself a religious person, but man, I started, at least at that point, I started learning about surrender. Like I, I have a, a mantra, which was just do your best, let go. Do your best, right. let go. Yeah. And yeah. Trying to keep a, you know, a positive attitude with my kids. In some ways it was kind of great because I was coaching both their ball teams and actively involved in their life. And it kind of kept, you know, for brief periods of time, kept me a good distraction. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it kept me from worrying about things. Mm -hmm. And um, so really my journey begins um, because I decided to go to my first ever spiritual retreat, which just, you know, just killed me because I've been so anti-spiritual. But Michael Crichton, the author, wrote a book that a lot of people don't know about called Travels, and it's his sort of autobiography. And I always identified with Michael Crichton. I like the guy. And he went through his own little sort of midlife crisis. Uh, by the age of 30, he'd achieved every goal he ever wanted in his life. And he suddenly went into a full meltdown. He didn't know what he was going to do for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he, like me, had been very anti-spiritual and decided to try a spiritual retreat. And a lot of things opened for him there. And so I, for somebody that was anti-spiritual, I kept reading his story about his time at the spiritual retreat over and over again. And one day I threw the book off. I was reading it in bed. I threw it down. I ran to my computer. I said, I wonder if this guy is still alive teaching these retreats. And sure enough, there he was on the Internet 20 years after Michael Crichton left teaching essentially the same thing he taught Michael Crichton. Mm -hmm. And I signed up for it. And I went, you know, I'm $650,000 in debt. Another couple thousand isn't going to matter. Right. No, that's right. Talk about a life defining moment, John. My goodness. Yeah, it really was. And I, I admit I was looking for a lifeline. I needed a different way to see and approach life. And Aubrey, you know, you never see these things when you're in the, the shit, excuse my French, no, no, I understand. When you look back, a lot of times it makes perfect sense. And it all seems yeah. perfectly orchestrated. And so mm-hmm. my book begins with hitting rock bottom. And what happened over the next, I'm going to say 20 years is I started to explore spirituality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of how that looked for me in terms of personal growth was, and I hate this term, uh, I discovered my feminine side. And mm-hmm. so being transparent being vulnerable, being intimate with other people, learning yeah. to ask for help, learning yeah. to listen and listen deeply, mm-hmm. having compassion for others. And, uh, and you know, again, looking back, it was life orchestrated it perfectly. Like I got to be both mom and dad, both to my kids. Right. And, and I remember when I went to that spiritual uh, retreat, I think the teacher there knew what was going on for me. And he goes, you won't lose your masculine. Uh, you'll just be more whole. And you'll just find, you know, one situation might call for being masculine. Another situation might call for being more feminine. And you'll be able to do both. And when I heard that, it just gave me a lot of relief because I was afraid I was going to trade one for the other. Right. And and, and then the the spiritual journey, just uh, I didn't have a lot of spiritual experiences at the retreat I went to. But I did learn I'd never truly been intimate uh, and vulnerable with other people. I'd never experienced that intimacy before. I had no idea how much I'd kept other people at a distance. Right. And, and so that's that was the beginning of the whole, um, you know, remaking of me. And that's how it all began. Gotcha. Gotcha. Understood. Understood. Man, I tell you, one thing that I find particularly uh, unique about your journey, John, um, from others that I've heard, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying or discounting others or anyone's trauma or struggles, is in a lot of previous conversations I've had with people, when they've reached rock bottom or just tremendous trauma, um, whatever it is that they're going through in their lives, 
asking, how did they persevere? How did they always, you know, just, uh, just hang in there and, 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 you know, and just, just, just work, work at it and work at it, you know? And, 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 you know, the answer was usually, you know, it was their faith, their faith that they've always had, you know, they've always held on to their faith, um, um, knowing that there's a higher spirit and everything. And, and so you were going through these struggles, this trauma, um, these fears, um, and, and you weren't basically, you weren't a, a spiritual person at the time. So it's right. like you had to discover that as far as um, looking for answers, looking for a solution. You had to discover that as, as your foundation versus others who have had that as their foundation prior to the trauma, I guess I'm trying to say. Oh, you nailed it. That's exactly right. I didn't have that foundation. I didn't have that faith or trust. You know, I had the faith in me. Yes. I knew how to work hard. But what if hard work wasn't getting me where I wanted to go? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would say looking back, um, I definitely developed a bedrock foundation that feels like a deep mm -hmm. and abiding faith and trust. And, um, mm -hmm. But it would have galled me to say that 20 years ago. I would have felt like, right. you know, I kind of had that perception of surrender as in giving up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, when you're under enough stress, trauma, there's a point at which you just kind of break. And you're like, excuse my French, Aubrey, fuck it. I'm just going to do the best I can or the right. chip ball is where yeah. you got all, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. You're in the thick of it at that time. And, and that's just the mindset because you know, you can't see the forest for the trees Yeah, when you're in the thick of it, you know? And, and, and one thing I wanted to ask you, John, was um, uh, you mentioned in the back of your book, there's, um, there's a part where you say, you know, um, um, going by the rules, working hard yeah. and logic just didn't work. Okay. Right. Now um, I want to focus on logic as being the operative word. <laughs> What discoveries did you have from the spiritual camp or retreat or maybe afterward um, that may have to anyone else defy logic um, that that help you discover or come closer to to you? OK, you need to come closer to you in this journey. Um, if logic wasn't working as one of those things that you tried, what that may have been counterintuitive outside of logic from your spiritual journey did you learn that did work yeah um again really good question aubrey so you might have heard this that quote from einstein where he says um intuition is the gift and logic is its faithful servant but we've mm. forgotten the gift and elevated the servant and boy, that had been my life for sure. And I didn't think I even believed in intuition. I just thought, ah, it's just people with voices in their head, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so um, about a year after I went to that retreat, I joined a dream forum and I started sharing my dreams online. And I, mm -hmm. and I, at first I was like, I have no idea how you're coming up with these interpretations of my dreams. I did not understand the language of dreams. Mm -hmm. But after a while, it started to make sense. And, you know, I had good teachers along the way that were just saying, you know, your dreams are your own. You're going to have to figure them out eventually on your own. And what started to happen was uh, my dreams 
were sort of like my intuition. It, and I don't know how to put it. My dreams were like my guidance. Mm. And, um, and this sounds kind of like a silly one, but this was one of the first dreams I had that felt like, like a warning dream. Yeah. And I had, uh, you know, again, I wasn't good at asking for help, but I, I, I saw a therapist and the therapist said, well, you're too smart for me. I'm going to put you in a group. <laughs> group therapy and again this was my journey practically in the blink of an eye i was the only guy with 10 women and two women therapists oh wow and so uh boy i felt like a man alone well yeah right at the very beginning i had this short little dream where all the women in my group and the therapists uh in the dream they were going uh hey you know we're all going to get together and peel shrimp but i'm worried about john and in the dream, I look at them and say, what's the problem? I love shrimp, you know? And they said, right. well, peeling shrimp can be really painful and really messy. And again, I learned dreams to be in symbols. And I was like, oh my God, being in therapy is like having your shell peeled off. Mm. And, <laughs> and yes. the dream was warning me. It was telling me, you know, here comes this period of vulnerability. And man, I tell you, Aubrey, I spent a whole year wanting to peel the shells off of other people, but I did not want them peeled off of me. Uh, and so wow. it was a silly little thing, but I started to trust that more and more and more. And I, you know, I think literally 50% of my book is some sort of dream coming through. It's trying to help me. It's trying to teach me. Yes. And so, you know, I think other people might have the experience of, you know, my guides told me this, or I spoke to the angels and the angels told me that that wasn't really my experience. I've had a little bit of that, but not much. Right. Right. But something deeper in me, than, than my surface logic comes through in a way that I didn't think was possible. And it's been beautiful and amazing for me. So that's that's what began to work for me is what I would just call somehow is able to access the deeper wisdom and the deeper guidance. And I started to trust it. Man, that's beautiful. I mean, that sounds like it opened the door to vulnerability, to your discovery of vulnerability, right? Yeah. And uh, part of that discovery of vulnerability, I would think, uh, would be to tell yourself or to hear the words in your heart that it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> and help is available. It's like, wow, I, yes. I do it all myself, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. No, completely, man. And and so, uh, I mean, what do you think prompted these dreams, man? I mean, because uh, a lot of people say that uh, we have dreams due to whatever's going on in our lives at the time. Yeah. And our subconscious is, uh, is really thriving and running rampant while we are asleep. Now, you know, between sleep and REM sleep and all that is another topic, another discussion. Um, I don't want to split hairs, but uh, there is a subconscious that comes alive, at least I believe, when I sleep. And some of those thoughts that have been buried inside of me that I may not have outwardly expressed, um, you know, during my waking hours come to life while I sleep. So yeah. do you feel like it was something like that? that caused, say, this dream about, you know, being with the women peeling shrimp and everything or, or, you know, and, and plus there's a sign, right? Uh, there's a metaphor. I believe we all dream in metaphors and, yeah. and, and just understanding what those metaphors are. Um, uh, you know, what was, the, what was that foundation or not foundation, but the source of 
let's say that dream that led to this epiphany of vulnerability? Well, I think um, actually it probably all began with that retreat I went to because the, the uh, leader, his name was Dr. William Brew Joy. He went by his middle name, Brew, and he was a really popular teacher years ago. Mm-hmm. He passed away here, I think, 12 years ago. But a big mm-hmm. part of his teaching was dreams. And he said, dreams will help make the unconscious conscious. Gotcha. And, you know, it's funny. There's some great artists. Uh, Salvador Dali used to do it. I think mm-hmm. it was... Thomas Edison used to do it. They were aware that there was a lot of stuff in the unconscious that they had a hard time accessing. Mm-hmm. And I think both Dolly and Edison, I might not get this exactly right. They rigged this little thing where they would sit up in a chair and like be holding something. And as they fall asleep, they would drop it and it would wake them up. And as quick as they could, they try and capture, you know, cause if you don't capture a dream right away, it just slips away. Yes. Yes, and it does. So, I, I think I really believe the uh, the the leader of the retreat, like that dreams were really valuable. He considered mm-hmm. them sacred. And mm-hmm. so the only thing I took away from that retreat was a fairly regular heart-centered meditation uh, um, practice. I and see. so he really just taught heart-centered meditation, unconditional love, dream mm-hmm. work. That was basically it, pretty basic. Yeah. And so I was doing that for a while. And so... Um, and I, I was asking for dreams. I think, you know, and I, Aubrey, I don't want to sound like all my dreams were perfectly clear guidance because they weren't, I definitely had some of those stressful processing kind of dreams that you're talking about. Right. Right. And, uh, and it led me to read a lot of books on the subject. And, you know, one guy I love said, nah, 85% of all dreams are crap, but boy, pay attention to the other 15%. Mm, Okay. I think that's what's been true for me is uh, just getting in the habit of paying attention to them, getting in the habit of writing them down. Um, you know, I share in my book, uh, there's a chapter near the end of the book that I call the spectrum of dreams. And I really, I think I wrote down 15 different kinds of dreams. Mm-hmm. Now at the beginning, they were probably dreams like everybody else has, you know, just like what the heck was all that gibberish? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's a metaphor, symbol, you know, yeah. understand it. Um, but mm-hmm. point later, uh, it changed and not all the time. And so I just learned to trust that like mm-hmm. every now and then. Um, and so to answer your question, I don't know what the genesis was for that particular dream. Okay. Um, other than I did faithfully record my dreams. I did trust what was coming through was important. I do think a lot of that stressful kind of stuff that comes through can be valuable too, because it's kind of, uh, you know, if you pay attention to your dreams and you really get them, you will be stripped clean. They're completely unvarnished. It's like, you want to see the unvarnished truth about yourself and what still needs to be healed and what's still treatment. Yeah. It's going to be right there in your dreams. Right. And so I, I think I just took that really seriously. I took it to heart, so to speak. And the more I did, the more and more doors started to open. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I share in there um, three, four, five stories, something like that, where uh, dreams came through to help me with um, healing and sometimes physical yes. healing. I yes. had years of chronic neck pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I could share real quick, um, I, uh, 
I had been rear-ended in a car accident and got classic whiplash type symptoms because I right. was stupidly go my own way and never went to the doctor and just thought, wow, it's a stiff neck. It'll get better. Well, it didn't get better. It got worse mm -hmm. and worse. And remember, I thought I was athletic and I was really active. Boy, it got so bad. Um, man, I tried everything. I saw you know, massage and ultrasound and acupuncture. Uh, acupuncture, I'm trying to think, you know, chiropractic. I got right. all the books on how to heal neck pain. I followed all the exercises faithfully. I yeah. did stretching. I stood up at my desk. I sat on a bouncy ball. I got up and walked around regularly. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. would help, but only briefly. And it got mm -hmm. so bad, I finally went and had surgery and they inserted um, cortisone in the facet joints of my neck. And when I woke up from the surgery, and the anesthetic wore off, I could still feel the neck pain. And I was like so depressed. I thought, oh, wow. I'm like 40 years old and I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. It's horrible. Yeah. Well, one day I went home from work early uh, in tears. My neck hurt so bad and went took a little nap before my kids got off the school bus. And I remember saying, why the fuck does my neck hurt so bad? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think I was. I fell asleep in less than a minute and had this hyper vivid dream of what looked like a monk, shaved head, red robe, pacing back and forth out at the end of my driveway. Oh, okay. Somehow yeah. I knew that dream was trying to tell me why my neck hurt, but I, you know, who the heck is going to connect the dots there? I couldn't. Right. And so, but I was part of this dream forum and I remember the leader saying, that dream has everything to do with your neck pain. And I'm like, I do not get it. And he goes, well, explore what a monk represents. Why do monks shave their heads? Why do they wear a red robe? Why do you think he's pacing outside your house instead of in your house? And long story short is he goes, I want you to consider the fact that you have a very spiritual side and you're not letting him into your house, so to speak. So a little bit of time goes by, maybe a month or two, I have another dream. And now the dream is a guy is coming forward to heal my neck. And I'm like, oh my God, thank God. Like an energy healer. And he's coming at me with his hands. Yeah. He goes to put his hands on my neck. I've got to love dreams. An angry old man who lives in my neck says, get the fuck away. Oh, my. <laughs> in the dream. Yeah, so yeah. What it started because it just took time. I started to realize, uh, you know, everybody has some part in their body where they carry tension or resistance. Sometimes it's the yes. head. Sometimes yes. it's the neck. Sometimes it's the back. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's the belly. I carried it in my neck. And I'm going through this whole, you know, all the pain and trauma going out with my kids and money and divorce. And I'm having, I didn't know at the time, a spiritual awakening. And I was holding on to it like this in my neck, like a steel rod in my neck. And Aubrey, two more years went by of just trying to relax, trying to relax my neck, trying to be more open-minded, open-hearted. Then came the final culminating dream where I'm in my office, in my house, and I have this giant golden thumbtack in my hand and I reach around and just stick it in the bulletin board behind me, but it feels strange. And I turn around and I stuck it right into the heart of this beautiful like Tibetan monk. And he's smiling at me with such love. And, and, and I suddenly realized my neck didn't hurt anymore. Like I just, wow. it wasn't like, it was just like I woke up and went, it's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who would have guessed? I would never have guessed. Talk about using logic. Who would ever have guessed that six years of chronic neck pain that I was just sure were from a car accident was actually because I had kept so much resistance in my neck. 
And I think even to this day, I have to kind of be cognizant of that. Don't let that resistance build up in my neck. And um, so that's an example of going beyond what I would call logic to where dreams were helping me heal things <clears throat> that I didn't know could possibly be healed through dreams. Yes, yes. And thank you for sharing that, John, man. I really appreciate it because um, you are one of the amazing few who have unearthed the transition of the subconscious world to the conscious world, mm -hmm. something that you've just unearthed in your dreams subconsciously and, and having having the the open-mindedness and, uh, and and the awareness may not know the answer right away but you 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 dug in you know and and you invested uh to 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 bring that subconscious to the conscious that that led to the relief and the healing from your pain man that's extraordinary yeah yeah, yeah. thank you so much and believe me early on i would have guessed i was the last person on the planet that would ever <laughs> <laughs> these kinds of experiences and I would never believe they were possible. And I, I just have to remind myself when I run into people that just think stuff like this is crazy. It's like, yeah, well just wait till it happens to you. You'll realize it's not so crazy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So John, I want to talk about visions. Okay. Yeah. Um, is a vision a microcosm of a dream or visions? I guess you can have, consciously and subconsciously uh right can you break that down for us at least as it's interpreted in your book um yeah vision for me would be most of the time being in a dream okay you know um yeah that's a great you know i think you know as as somebody who ran his own company for years i tend to think of a visionary as somebody who sees where he wants his company to go. And so a visionary yeah. might have, yeah. you know, so that's one way to look at it. Right. Uh, another way is visions and dreams that are helpful, teaching me things, showing me things about the future. Right, right. Uh, and then less common by far, but still happen to me periodically would be these crazy spiritual experiences when I was awakened out in public mm -hmm. and sometimes would see things or have experiences um, that were entirely unexpected. Mm -hmm. uh, I share a chapter in my book that I took my daughter and her little friends out to a Chinese restaurant and they're like in, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade and yeah. it's dinner time. And there are, you know, there's three little girls and me sitting in a booth and they're all just chattering away. And Aubrey, I'm, I'm watching the waitress go back and forth and she's tall slope shouldered kind of buck tooth and my male judges in full force and like no oh, she's not very attractive you know? no right, right yeah okay yeah you know, so i'm just watching her going wow that woman's really unattractive and she goes into the swinging doors back to where the kitchen is and when she comes back out oh my god like she transforms into the most beautiful creature imaginable she was like wow. beauty incarnate like i couldn't believe what i was seeing Wow. And it lasted for like 10 seconds mm -hmm. and then it was over. I don't think she noticed it. Nobody in the restaurant noticed it. My daughter and friends were all chattering away. Yeah. And, and, it, and so it taught me um, to not always, you know, it sounds so cliche, not to judge a book by their cover. Like right, who knows right. what that person's soul is really like. 
And so that was a lot of my dreams and visionary experiences too, was to not judge, not judge a book by its cover. Like yeah. there should be an extraordinary soul. Every soul can be an extraordinary. And, wow. um, and so I have not, Aubrey had a lot of experiences like that, but boy, when they happen, they are just like, whoa. Oh, I bet. I yeah. bet. My goodness. Um, and, and, and it sounds like you've had visions consciously and subconsciously. Um, you gave a great example there yeah. of consciously. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think as a business owner, having a vision in that perspective um, also is very valid. Okay. Yeah. But what about, um, have you had any visions when you were in the throes of your struggles, okay, um, visions of, of, of where you feel you should be or where you want to be or where you aspire to be, um, were you too caught up in the throes of the, of the struggle to, to, to have that vision? Or did that just kind of develop as you were getting closer to knowing your spiritual side? Um, it definitely took a few years. It did not okay. happen right out of the gate. And okay. so, um, I would say a good three years into rock bottom, going to the retreat, starting to connect with dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, so two visions I want to share with you. One was staggeringly beautiful and I sometimes wish I didn't have it because I feel like I'm still trying to live up to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had this dream that said, pay attention. Here's your destiny. And it's like, mm -hmm. who doesn't want to see their destiny, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so, my God. And so I, I used to love to fly fish. And in, the, in this vision, I see myself just outside of Yellowstone Park, which is a beautiful area to, you know, nature and fishing and stuff. Right. And I'm walking downstream along the Madison River, just outside the west entrance to the park. The river's on my left side, and I see a little portal up ahead, and I walk through the portal, and I transform into what looks like an old wizard, like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings or Merlin. Yeah. And, oh, my God, this amazing love is pouring out of me and going up into all the hills, and all of nature is coming down to greet me. Oh, my God, it was just beautiful. And I could feel this love going out and this love coming back, and I could feel the whole scene uh, saturated love, and I'm wearing a cape. But it's not made of cloth, it's made of energy, and it contains the entire cosmos. I mean, everything, I, you know, planets, stars, it's just staggeringly beautiful. And um, just when I'm turning around to leave, a little green nature spirit, it looks like a human being with little wings, like a dragonfly kind of, yeah. falls up to me uh -huh. and uh, binds me takes a single strand of golden thread and binds me up into a, what looks like a cocoon. And, um, and that's how it ended. It was sort of like, here's where you're going, but you know, a cocoon is, you know, a metaphor represents transformation. You know, right. when, when the caterpillar goes in the cocoon, it isn't like the caterpillar grows wings. He like dissolves completely and comes out of something completely different. Completely. And so, it felt like this beautiful embodiment of what I would just call love and wisdom that I, I try to live up to. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was an example of a destiny dream, but I've also had what I call course correction dreams. Cause you know, Aubrey old habits are hard to break, right? That's right. That's right. 
And so I sometimes would get sucked into old habits, arguments, you know, things like that. Uh, stupid people on Facebook, politics, you know, stuff like that. Right. And I had this beautiful dream I shared in my book. Uh, Jesus shows up uh, and literally in the dream I'm fishing and he kind of taps me on the shoulder and says, come on, we're going to go for a walk. And you remember the the story, uh, the movie in the book, A Christmas Carol and Scrooge? Oh, yeah. Yes. He's, yeah. The ghost of Christmas past. Well, in this case, right. the ghost of Christmas past is Jesus. Mm. And he plucks me from the river and we're literally walking on the river upstream, following the river up to its source. Wow. And we go way up in the mountains where the river is you know, moving quite swiftly. It's like waterfalls. And, yeah. and when yeah. we get up there, we see... Um, a bunch of graffiti, billboards defaced, criminals running around, you know, cops chasing the bad guys, all this crime. And I'm just sitting there watching. And Jesus just looks at me and he says, this is not your true north. And mm. and then that's the end. He takes me all the way back downstream. We're walking in the river. I remember waving to farmers. I can see them, but they can't see me. Yeah, yeah. River. <laughs> end of right. the experience. And so that was another visionary experience. I wish he'd said, now your true north is this. Right. He told me what it wasn't. And so I, I still have to kind of rein myself in sometimes because mm -hmm. I fall back into that old habit of mm -hmm. debating things, arguing with people. Right. <laughs> right. No, I'm with you. Um, man, what a what a discovery or rediscovery, right, yeah. of, uh, of, of just uh, knowing now that you're falling into – you know, a bad habit that you've had in the past. Yeah. And, and, and then you have the, the awareness and the, the alertness to, to, to turn away from it. Right. Um, right. And, and what, a, what a tremendous journey and vision that you had with Jesus going up. What I was thinking as you were explaining it, man, was as you're going up the mountain to the source of this river, you know, to me, I don't know, in my mind's eye, to me, that's a beautiful vision. It's the mountain, it's nature, it's the river, yeah. it's flowing water. But then you started saying people were stealing wheels off of cars, breaking into stores and all this going on around there. Um, that is a true uh, contrast, uh, at least of my vision of the top of a mountain at the source of, of, of a river. So um, well, I, thank think you. What I, I think what he was trying to teach me, and I kind of made sense later, is, mm -hmm. you know, think of the river like a person's life. And so when a river's born in the mountains, the river's usually kind of violent. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of thinking about being a teenager, and you're kind of rebellious, and you're kind yeah. of wild and crazy. And it's like, you know, maybe you're breaking some rules, and the cops are coming after you. And so, but, you know, when the river at least in this part of the country, uh, rivers are always born in the mountains and then they come down into the valley and they start to become more useful. Right. Farmers start to use them, uh, livestock, yeah. you know, and then as it gets really slow and it's about to enter the ocean, you know, that's kind of the, you know, where the river starting to merge with the ocean, it kind of might represent the end of one's life. And, you know, I'm 63 years old now. And while I had that dream probably 10 years ago, I think he was trying to say, John, you're, you're not a kid anymore. Come on. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, grow up for God's sakes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I love, I love the whole um, purpose of your road to rediscovery show. Cause you know, you talk about paying it forward and I, you know, I, it was good for me to step into elderhood. Good for me to step into that wisdom. Good for me to have, you know, I, I have had what I call course correction dreams before. And that was kind of a, 
really kind of in your face example of one. And it's like, and, and, you know, but I, I'm aware more than ever before people, myself included, we get into old habits. And the idea is to, you know, to grow and to evolve is to get out of those old habits and create new habits. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, I'm, 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 I'm feeling vibrations of just all sorts of, um, uh, just wonderful virtues coming from your voice and coming from your spirit, John. And I, and I really, and truly mean that um, I, I, I feel, I feel for some reason, I feel forgiveness. Okay. Uh-huh. What, whether it's forgiveness of yourself or forgiveness of others um, I, that that's, that's a virtue that I'm feeling in hearing your voice and all the different things that you've been sharing with me and with the listeners in this conversation, sir. Um, it, it to me, it, it seems like you packaged it quite nicely uh, in, I believe, your, your, your chapter one, chapter one of your book called Three Seeds, right. where you're talking about the, um, the three different elements for your blooming and growth, right? Compassion, wisdom, unconditional love, right? Um, you've represented all three elements, I mean, glowingly in, in, in sharing your journey with, with everyone. And, and, and I love the name of that first chapter, by the way, Three Seeds, because it totally, it, it totally um, uh, explains every single one of them. Oh, my God. I love you, brother. Thank you for saying all that. I really appreciate it. No, all of those things have been still learning more about them every single day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, talk about dreams that were teaching me and guidance. I had a whole series, I want to say, for about a month. It's like, okay, John, we're about uh-huh. to teach you compassion. Yes. And weirdly, the dreams that were teaching me about compassion were um, famous people. Uh, George Bush, Barack mm-hmm. Obama, the Dalai Lama, a woman I know who's a spiritual teacher. And, and every one of the dreams was trying to teach me you know, look at the Dalai Lama. I mean, he's just this amazing man, but boy, look at the pain he's endured. Yes. And, yes. And I remember the, the dream with Barack Obama was so freaking real. I can't even tell you. I'm just kind of hanging out with him and he's yeah. telling me like how hard it is to be president. There's a lot of responsibility and mm-hmm. nobody knows, but I still smoke and I'm having a hard time. <laughs> nobody. Right. Stressful, you know, and yeah. You know, <laughs> I could just feel this all this compassion for him in the dream. And I mm. I remember um, having a dream early on with George Bush in it too, um, where he was in tears, like, you know, the Iraq war and which I was not in favor of. And, but right. I could see like, it's freaking hard to be president of the United States. And 9-11. Yeah. And 9-11. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what's the response to that? And right. Um, so um, and I, I had this hyper vivid dream with a teacher I know who used to live here, but lives on the East Coast now. Mm-hmm. And um, and I in the dream, I was hosting her uh, for a large group of people, 100 people. And the people in the audience said, we want to hear about your um, life growing up. And yeah, she comes yeah. to me in tears. Like she goes, oh, my God, you know, I grew up in Russia. My stories don't really scale very well. Mm-hmm. But in the dream, she shared her stories very transparently. And everybody in the, in the audience, not only did she have beautiful spiritual teachings, but they connected her on a very human level, too. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, kind of an offshoot of unconditional love is compassion. And, mm-hmm. you know, I forget sometimes, but I, I really try to walk my talk in that regard. Like, 
I don't know if anybody on this dang planet's ever having an easy time. No, no, uh, it, it's not easy for 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 anyone. I don't think. And uh, but but the key, which uh, it sounds like you've cracked the code, is <laughs> the sense of awareness. Right? We all will slip and fall back into bad habits. Um, it's it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. And as I say on the road to rediscovery all the time, when that happens, how will you respond? Right. So it's to me, it's uh, having the self-awareness to know when you are um, falling back into that habit. And then, of course, the knowledge and the ability and aptitude to um, to 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 remove yourself from it again, which, again, you've um, you figured out quite nicely. So, um, John, um, I got to commend you. You have really opened yourself up, made yourself vulnerable in sharing your journey. Um, you know, money in a lot of circles is a, pretty much a taboo type of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it can it can break families. It can, you know, it can do all sorts of things. And and for someone to open themselves up to being vulnerable and transparent and share the financial side, uh, which was included as as part of this the overall struggles and fears that you've had. Mm -hmm. um, that takes a lot. And for you to do it in the spirit, in the spirit of helping others who are struggling through their dark times, who may be going through a similar experience, um, showing them, hey, here's how you've got out of it. Maybe it can work for them, you yeah. know? And 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 in in essence, that's what you're saying in your book. And and so I wanted to ask you um, if there's one sentence that gives a true message, the true, absolute main idea message, one sentence um, of your book that you would want the listeners and all the readers to take away from. What would that be? Um, I'm actually going to defer to somebody else because I love this quote so much. And it's just one sentence. Uh, mm -hmm. It's from Rilke. And he says, some evening, take a step out of your house, which you know so well. Enormous space is near. Mm. I love it. I yeah, love it. I, that's that been my journey. And I kind of describe it as the house you know so well. is kind of like you think you know it all. Yeah. Stuck, old habits. Yep. Uh, but you step outside of your house, it's like, holy moly, there's a lot of life that I've been missing. Yes. And in a lot of cases, for a lot of people stepping outside of the house, there's a sense of discomfort, right? And, uh, and, and you know, discomfort or growth doesn't happen without discomfort. And, yeah. and so um, that's what resonated with me when you said that sentence. And, uh, and, and, and man, there's a lot of substance to that. So yeah. yeah, I appreciate that sentence for sure, John. Oh, thank you, Aubrey. Yeah, absolutely. So how can the listeners connect with you, follow you, um, learn more about the great work you're doing, and uh, even pick up a copy of your book? Yeah, so my book is called The Synchronicity of Love, Stories mm -hmm. that Heal, Transform, and Awaken. Mm -hmm. uh, it's told in kind of a unique format. It's 119 short stories, all true stories. Some of them I shared with you here today. I wrote it that way on purpose because uh, I have a, I mean, I can have a good attention span, but I also kind of have a short attention span. And I kind of like reading people's uh, true stories in their life. And I like being able to grab a book at bedtime and just open it up randomly and read some stories. 
and so that's why I wrote it the way I did. Uh, you can, it's available on Amazon, um, any other platform where books are sold. Uh, and my website is John David Latta, and my last name is spelled L-A-T-T-A, johndavidlatta.com. Wonderful, wonderful. John, thank you so much. I'm going to make sure that the link to your book on Amazon, as well as your website, um, are in the episode show notes. So the listeners can click the link, purchase a copy of the book while they're hearing this wonderful conversation. John Latta, man, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show, sir. Um, and, and thank you for just sharing your journey. Um, I have no doubt you know, that you uh, and what you have shared and your insights from what you've learned um, has definitely resonated with the listeners. John, thank you so much, sir. Uh, thank you for the invitation, Aubrey. Love you, brother. So appreciate being on your show. And uh, I love what your show stands for, too. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Love you, too, brother. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. And look, if you have a loved one, um, co-worker, a friend, uh, colleague, neighbor, who just doesn't seem to be themselves. Uh, they seem to be moping or walking through dark days of despair, not quite sure uh, who to turn to, where to turn. Uh, I humbly ask that you please share this show with them. Because on the road to rediscovery, there are two things we want our listeners to know. Number one, you're not alone. And number two, there is always hope. The road to rediscovery, it's a movement. A revolution. And guess what? You are now part of it. We're all roadies on this journey of life. And it sure feels good having you on the road with me. Thanks again for listening. We'll chat again soon. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of The Roads Rediscovery. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at roadsrediscoverypodcast at gmail.com and leave us any questions or comments you may have. The Roads Rediscovery is an AJ Shark production. When you don't want your busy evenings to signal the end of dinnertime exploration, try Blue Apron's two or four serving menu plan so you're always cooking something new and enjoying fresh seasonal ingredients. With 60 plus options each week, you can choose from an ever-changing mix of high quality meat, fish, vegetarian, WW recommended and wellness offerings. Order now and get $110 off across your first five orders when you visit blueapron.com unique.